Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Movies. We're the officially unofficial podcast for everything cinema. I'm your host, Aaron. I'm Jim. And we are talking about something that was released on the ever-increasingly sized screens, but not quite big screen, uh, the television screen via Netflix, High Flying Bird. It's Steven Soderbergh's latest film. He shot it entirely on an iPhone 8i. An 8? That's what it said. That's what it said in a Wikipedia article. Huh. Um, Starring Andre Holland, Zazie Beetz, Melvin Gregg, Sonia Son, Zachary Quinto, Kyle McLaughlin, and Bill Duke. It is a movie about a basketball agent who is stuck between a rock and a hard place during an um, an NBA lockout, where his players are going broke and he's going broke, and his parent agency squeezing him for money. And it seems like the owners have all the power, as usually is the case when you have billionaires pitted against millionaires. And uh, I thought it was really interesting and engaging material, despite being essentially a sequence of about twenty speeches delivered into a camera. Uh, what do you think, Jim? Uh, it's definitely not my kind of movie, but I thought there were a lot of like, especially Andre Holland, a, a really sharp performance from him, uh, kind of carried it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like I, I have a problem with a lot of really dense dialogue and scenes, rapid fire, um, right. especially when I'm just trying to get my feet under me at the beginning of this thing. Yes. I was a little thrown by it because And one of the reasons I say this is not a movie for me is I don't care about sports. I don't know much about them at all. I understand Uh the concept of a lockout in its most basic terms. Uh But a lot of the maneuverings and the culture of the NBA, I don't understand. Hmm. Uh, But it was interesting to watch, and I think it was a well-made movie. So I I don't think it's bad. I I just maybe is not my type of movie. I thought Andre Holland, um, he's really good at playing a guy who doesn't just think he's smarter than you. He he knows it. (laughs) Uh huh. Um, and like he's he's he he he. The first time I ever seen him was in uh, Soderbergh's The Nick, which was uh, on a couple seasons ago, and he kind of played the same character only uh, with m- much more of a mean streak. Um, I yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I found myself uh, even though I'm a little bit more I think plugged into NBA culture and sports culture and and the politics of uh, and the economics of it. Um, it, there was a lot of parts where like I'm not really following what's supposed to be happening here, but I also kind of came to appreciate halfway through the film's kind of brisk 90-minute runtime that this is an o- this is Ocean's Eleven, except for <laughs> with a sports, uh, like a, 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 a sports league instead of a casino. Yeah. It's all the but, same. But it's weirdly, like they weirdly, I, I don't want to talk spoilers, but they twist it at the end, and I'm kind of confused. Yes, I'm left confused I, as to me too, how man. this actually worked out in the favor of anybody. Well, okay, I, I, I can't say much on it without okay. spoiling it, but we will talk Agreed. about that. And I have a lot of questions. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I I think this was especially I did not know about its uh, pe- the the film the film stock issue, and I, I saw that like hmm this is a really minimalist uh, Soderbergh when I compare it to like the last thing I saw him with the, with with the Nick and it's kind of restrained and but then I'm like oh you know maybe this is kind of like an artistic thing that he's uh, largely choosing to use these big glass towers and offices to almost like make people seem like they're in a fish tank or these large mm-hmm. um, if it's not a steel glass box it's a concrete glass box because it's this like small little uh, inner city gymnasium and it, you're supposed to feel like these guys are like on display they're like a fish in an aquarium or something but no I think I think Soderbergh is just trying to film with a fucking an iPhone and there's not a whole lot of uh, steady cam shit <laughs> and swoop rigs and dr- I mean that you can do with it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm this is probably the artistic thing too, but uh, wow, uh, this movie looks incredible for its its technical limitations. Um, 
So I think now is the appropriate time where we just get into the spoilers. And since this is a Netflix original and uh, we're trying to, uh, you know, we're trying to definitely cover the interest that people are taking in Netflix, uh, we're going to release the spoiler edition for everybody. So stick around. Everybody enjoy. Um, and also, yeah, support the club if you can because uh, it, <laughs> it pays the bills. Club.baldmove.com. Hey, before we get too much further, I'd like to talk about some housekeeping. Uh, on the Bald Movies feed, uh, we have got coming up this week Alita Battle Angel. And then on the Bald Move TV feed, we're going to be taking first looks at the new uh, superhero kind of a deconstruction or satire. It's called, what is it, Jim? The Umbrella Organization? Yes. Uh, the Umbrella big- Society. Big Umbrellas are us. No, Umbrella the, Academy. The Umbrella Academy. And uh, we're also going to be seeing uh, what, uh, a couple of parts of the upcoming documentary, Lorena, about the Lorena Bobbitt saga. And uh, that's produced by Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. So I've got some I'm, – I'm very interested in that material. That will be on the Bald Move TV feed and Bald Move movie feed, respectively. Also, uh, thanks to everybody that helped and supported us on our Groundhog Day marathon, our 24-hour Star Wars movie marathon. It went amazingly. We're probably going to end up uh, raising well over $16,000 for the homeless. Uh, we got a shout-out from Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill. If you go to groundhog.baldmove.com, it's not too late to send a donation to the National Alliance to End Homelessness on our behalf. Um, and it's also not too late to watch uh, some footage. If you want to see any of the, the movies in particular, we've got them all broken out into their own individual streams. And if you go to groundhog.baldmove.com, you can, can find out all that information. So, again, thanks for everybody. I'm very proud and happy at the way it turned out. Can't wait to see what happens next year. All right. Spoilers. Jim. Okay. I, we don't want to start at the end, right? <laughs> no. I want to talk okay. about something that has kind of been brewing at the edges of my kind of awareness for a while. Um, and it's the idea that desegregation in America, um, while unquestionably a net good and, and something that was worth fighting for, um, had a, a, a fairly devastating effect on the black economy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I kind of first became aware of with Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history, I think two years ago. And it was in a form of what desegregation did to the education system where suddenly you had two sep- quote-unquote separate B-equal school systems, right? You got the black and the white one. And then uh, you suddenly have – it's decided that this stuff all has to, like, be put in the one. And when, like, cities and governments are trying to decide which school stays open, what would you guess? <laughs> I'm going to guess Jim? the formerly all-white schools stayed the open. The white schools, and they, they shoved the black kids in that now. Right. You've got you, – you had as many black teachers as you had white teachers – let me get, get guess which teachers core that they that they they kept. Uh, I'm going to say they kept all of the black teachers. <laughs> you, you, how did you know? How did you know such a such a Rodden like such as a a, a, a a Rod Sterling slash Gene Roddenberry twist would take place? No, actually, they kept all the white teachers too. Of course. Um, so you had like, this like generation of like black educators that were kind of gutted, and then you had these black kids thrown into a hostile white environment and predictable results ensued. Um, and then, you know, we, uh, Netflix just a couple weeks, weeks ago had this uh, documentary series that the killer Mike from run the jewels, um, put on and th- their first episode. And that was all about similarly what happened when black and white society got integrated. You had black, historically black stores and tailors and shoe shops and mechanics and whatnot. And suddenly they're competing with their white counterparts. And let's say that like, you know, the white stores can of beans was five cents cheaper than the black stores. Then, the rational decision to shop at the white stores, the black stores get gutted and now like a whole black, uh, like middle class gets, gets uh, decimated. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's like, you know, (laughs) I've been talking to this to some of my, you know, family members who typically are like poor rural whites. And like some of their reaction is like, well, that was kind of stupid for the black people to do. And yet 
they're living in <laughs> they're living in communicate communities that have been decimated because you can buy a can of beans five cents cheaper from Walmart than you can from you know the local uh, grocery store that's been mom and pop for years and years, and now those economies are being gutted. Yeah. And I felt like this movie is kind of another statement on that. Um, that you know, like that, that's kind of like the subtext of the movie, or not the subtext, is the main text of the movie. Mm-hmm. Is that um, you know, black people couldn't you, you, were didn't used to be able to play basketball with the whites. They had their own separate leagues, and that was good for the community. Um, and then they integrated because they want to get paid more, and that's been kind of bad for the communities. Um, but there, here is a way now that we can maybe take some of that power back that we've given, you know, the, the, like, like it's, it's also works as like kind of a parable about labor versus management. Right. Mm-hmm. And I also read a couple interesting pieces where it's also intended to be kind of like uh, a take on what Netflix and Amazon is doing to kind of like destabilize the movie industry. Sure. Did you see any of that? The, 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 the those articles? Uh, I don't know if I saw the articles, but definitely I got that vibe from, from this movie. Yeah, like I guess Soderbergh, his last film, he was kind of on the fence about distributing it through Netflix because Netflix is like, hey, we'll cut your check right now. It'll be on <laughs> – it'll essentially you know, be streaming a month from now. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go through the traditional system one last time. And I guess the movie didn't even get a major release. Right. And it pissed him off so much that essentially outside the art circuit, nobody ever saw it that he's like, my next film, fuck this. I'm going to go Netflix all the way. Because like, yeah, maybe I don't get as much money, but I, I'm going to make the film I want to make. It's going to go out in the form that I want people to see it, and as many people that want to see it or have a Netflix subscription can see it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm if I'm a 20th Century Fox or a Sony or a Disney, doesn't doesn't that make you shit your pants just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was probably you know as as someone who's not a sports fan, aside from the the cultural and societal angle, it was the most interesting other part of the film. When, yeah, you know, he sets up this meeting with Netflix or. Maybe doesn't. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. he, he says he set up a, a meeting with Netflix and they use this sort of analog to uh, another sport, boxing, where the, the players, quote unquote, have more control over that. And they're, you know, working directly uh, with their audiences and bringing money in without the middlemen. That's that to me was the most compelling, interesting thing. And I don't know that they follow through in this movie with that idea. Yeah, I mean, do you want to talk about that now? No, not quite. Because um, I, I, I agree, it's the most interesting thing, and it's the thing that I spent probably the last two and a half hours trying to figure out. Because I had the exact same reaction, like, "What the fuck? This thing fumbled the ball at the one yard line. Is that yeah? Is that supposed to be you like need a, you need a basketball metaphor? Like uh, maybe <laughs> missed a free, missed the final free throw? I don't know. Yeah, they they <laughs> they, they they missed the give the the give me the go ahead layup, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And uh, then they they tripped on their laces and punched themselves in the dick because <laughs> they fouled out of bounds. It's just yeah. Uh, it's it's it's, it's I, so I, I definitely want to get to that, but um, I thought this show was really good at like constantly subverting my expectations. Um, hmm. Because, like, I, I remember when the Andre Holland went down to Philly to see uh, this Umber kid, and the movie has conditioned you to think that he's going to go down there and it's going to be like, uh, you know, Will Smith in West Philadelphia, born and raised kind of moment where he's going to go to all this track housing and there's going to be, you know, some uh, improbably young black mother chain smoking over her son's shoulder. And he, it's just like this nice brownstone kind of mansion and she's well off in a trust and she's very well educated. She knows the business and she's like, you know, what can you offer me? And I thought that was a I thought that was a defeat and didn't find right. out till 30 minutes later in the movie what he actually said 
in motion there. Yeah. And I kind of really admire that storytelling because it worked in the moment both ways. Like, oh, this guy is trying to desperate kind of like hustle, trying to put anything together. And what looked like a series of failures was actually a subtle maneuvering to lead to result that, that he wanted. And I thought like from a plotting standpoint, holy shit, this this movie had a lot to offer. Yeah. Um, also, like from the, you know, the societal sort of segregation type um, mm-hmm. or reintegration type stuff that you're talking about earlier. Uh, I think one of the most important lines in this movie is where they, I think it's Andre Holland says they, they made a game over the game. Yeah. A game on top of the game. Yeah. Because it wasn't just, you know, the, the black players wanting to make more money that caused the integration. It was also the owners desperately trying to cling to control of a game that, looked poised to be taken over by black players. You know, you, you look at the Harlem Globetrotters, right? And you say, holy right. shit, they were just dunking all over these white right. players. Like, right. Larry Bird is not going to hold a candle to Magic Johnson. It's just not going to happen. So, like, it it's it's interesting to see those those shifting power dynamics and how each side kind of exploited them and the, the fallout from that. Right. Well, and it's always... I think it's interesting because I remember the first time I started thinking about this, I, there, it was uh, in like the very infancy of YouTube. I don't know how many years ago. How, how old is YouTube? However old it was at YouTube, like that plus one year. But someone uploaded a video of um, – it, it was just this thing where they showed like footage of Madison Square Garden. And it had this like this big like fun text like, you know, spot the, spot the African-Americans. And it would just kind of pan over the crowd <laughs> and it would show a, it show a white circle around um, like any African-American and like the entire lower bowl of Madison Square Garden is just a sea of white people. Uh-huh. Except for bing, 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 like the court lights up because like all the players, but like one person on the court is black. Right. And then like one guy selling hot dogs, bing, one yeah. guy's like an usher, bing. And, you know, there's like maybe like Spike Lee is in as, as courtside, bing, he lights up. But it like shows the disparity between why are people why are people there in that particular incident of the game? They're there to watch, you know, nine black guys and one white guy compete in this game. But who's got the money that's actually supporting this league? Who's making the money? Yeah. You know, and and this is kind of like that. But these lockouts always, always, always. And I follow them with interest because I, I am a sports fan. I, me and Cecily t- typically always a lot, watch a lot of playoff basketball because it's a beautiful, fast paced game. And these athletes are fuck- like seeing LeBron James sprint down. A, it's it's like something that shouldn't happen. It's like seeing a, a, a fucking elephant run 50 miles an hour or something. <laughs> Okay. Um, it's it's just amazing to watch that kind of level of talent. And, you know, I'm an, an actual fan of football and it's always portrayed as like, well, you know, the athletes are never going to win because they have a finite they have a finite reserve of cash before they personally go bankrupt and go to shit. Whereas the owners have an infinity tank, you know, like, again, you're, you got a millionaires trying to fight against billionaires. But mm-hmm. this film, I think arguably turns that on its head and says nowadays that's not true because. You know, yes, it's true that the little guys could get squeezed out, but LeBron, like that idea where they had the ring, the three on three rings tournament, where it's like anyone that's won a, I presume, an NBA championship can show up and just play a three on three tourney of that. That uh-huh. would make so much fucking money in Vegas or Dude. anywhere you put it on. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like if they say, it's not that it's not like that, but it doesn't have to be like that, right? Yes. And yes. that's the thing where I think this movie both shines and fucking falls apart at the end. Well, Let's... before before we can talk about fall, I just want okay. to just say how genuinely subversive this idea is. Yes. Yeah. Like it felt dangerous when I was watching it that like the next time the owners lock out in the back of their mind, they got to think like, oh, my God, with, with these guys out of contract, what kind of damage can they do? What kind of independent 
loyalty to can they win? And would some of these guys become so rich that they put us out of business? Like LeBron James, mm-hmm. if he could organize this league and he becomes a billionaire to compete with these other guys, what what if we lose control of this thing? I, I just think it's a genuinely subversive idea. Now, yeah. Let's talk about the betrayal. Okay. So at the end of this movie, uh, uh-huh. Andre Holland, Ray, sets up a, a masterfully executed plan to get this lockout to end. But mm-hmm. he seemed to be on to something much, much bigger and much more toward the goal that he, you know, by giving uh, Eric this book from Dr. Edwards, seems to be working toward. But, but he just seems like he's okay working within the existing system at the end. Yes. Am I yes. crazy? Um, I think, okay. So I've been thinking, because that was my first reaction. Like, what the hell? He, this is, is this the cautionary tale of essentially um, Andre personally wanted, Andre Holland, uh, or Roy, that's his name. Ray. Uh, Ray, Ray. Ray wanted more money for himself, and this was the best path forward, and he kind of sold everybody else out, much like, you know, they've been talking about the black athletes in the past. But then he slips that book mm-hmm. um, that is uh, the Bible, he calls it, written by Dr. Edwards, um, which is the the, actual, the, the, the the gentleman that he introduces at the end. He sits in a conference. That's actually the guy who wrote this about like uh, the power of black athletes. I forget the name of the book. But I feel like what he really did, because like it, it's arguable the last time that people tried to start their own league and you get the Harlem Globetrotters and you get the Pacers and all that kind of stuff. It eventually got co-opted and owned by white people anyway. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that you would have a couple of these athletes that could make some serious money on the open market before the NBA, the NBA shit their pants and, uh, you know, did whatever they did to get these players back under contract and blackball the couple dozen players that were trying to start this other league. And it eventually failed because, you know, uh, 12 of the top players cannot sustain an interesting league when you got the NBA running on, right? So I think his idea was to set up a situation where the next generation, like they, they, he put in a um, he put in a handpicked successor to the NBA's players union so that she can do smarter deals for the players. Mm-hmm. He inculcated this idea of like what a what kind of uh, power black athletes and black labor has in like this upcoming generation of stars. And he's thinking that what really needs to happen is these black folk need to have more of a say of what goes on in the NBA because you can't beat the NBA. But what you can do is you tr- can transform and take its management over. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But Maybe. Yeah. That's I, that's that's uh, that I, I think that that's wasn't a very strongly underlined point. And also it's it's a point of um, maybe it's a, it's a dubious point, too, because there's nothing mm-hmm. he could say to that. um uh, was it Eric James is the Eric Scott. Yeah. There's nothing you can say to Eric Scott when he's on the sidewalk talking about how mad he is that he's been sold out. There's nothing he can say to make that player understand that, you know, well, I'm playing the long con and if you play all your cards right, you'll have a situation. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't guess know maybe, how satisfying that is. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe Ray is ready for this to happen. Like he's going to Netflix and all this stuff. But the, and and his players just aren't quite his clients aren't quite there yet and he needs to push them along to get them to that place but he really seemed at one point with the netflix thing to have a foothold both in this new media stuff um sort of bringing the the money directly to the players without the nba and also within eric eric was kind of on board for this thing until he found out that he canceled the meeting with netflix and that cancellation of that meeting seems to be the turning point in my mind where i look at ray and i say he either chickened out um, because of all the reasons you mentioned, like the NBA, you know, co-opting 
the the movement that he's starting and just uh-huh. you know status quo being preserved yeah or he never really had the ideals uh strongly enough in mind to follow through with it and he was simply trying to get this lockout ended and and well, take his bosses take spock's job okay so here let me throw one other wrinkle on it because yeah. like there's a lot of reasons why management wins and one of the things that i think the thesis of this movie was um you know why does why is labor so disorganized is because um the nba has got a way to squeeze not just the labor but the other levers there too like for example mm-hmm. The 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 wealthy ownership of this talent agency mm-hmm. is com- completely cut the funding off to Andre Holland to to Roy's character Ray's character, um, and that entire NBA division, so that the agents get in the players' head because it's starving agents, yeah. it's starving the player, and the agents get in the players' heads like, hey man, this isn't your long term because it's not in their long term interest, and like they use that as a tool to turn the knives against the players. So Ray taking control of the agency because he said at the beginning to Spock to Zachary Quinto, look man. Just 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 go and tell them what I'm telling you. This is the right play. Like if you mm-hmm. if, if you squeeze us out now, like it's long term bad because we represent the players. The players getting more money means we get more money and they just wanted it to end because they needed the money now. And now he's going to be in Spock's place. So if this happens in the future, I'm just I'm thinking that like, OK, in five years when there's another lockout uh, because there is this Netflix money, because there is this Facebook money, because there is this independent Vegas money. They'll have a they'll have a a a real iron backbone in the players union. They'll have a major talent agency that's going to be preaching subversion and union solidarity and and, you know, singing labor anthems and hymns. And you're going to have that unified against the management and the management will cave because they know that no one's going to no one's watching basketball to see the fucking NBA owners, you know, and that's what the players have never had. But that's the best I can make of it. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, I think that's probably his longer-term play here. Uh, mm-hmm. So it does sort of make sense. It's just a shame when, you know, I see I see the foothold and I'm like, man, just kind of pursue this a little more. And then, it, and, I, and I wonder what what really changes, right? Because, you, you know, billionaires versus millionaires, that's still going right. to be the situation 10 years down the road when the next lockout happens. And yeah. now the agency has a stronger backbone. It doesn't matter if they can bleed them dry. Yeah, I just wonder if the movie goes the way we wanted it to and the coda is two years from now, Ray goes bankrupt as the ex-NBA uh, is, is finally goes out of business because the NBA unified all the sponsors against them and none of the, uh, you know, NBA played hardball and said, if you, if you broadcast any of the, these games, then we won't let you broadcast any of our games. Like, mm-hmm. that would be pretty bleak and depressing, whereas, like, working with – trying to co-opt and work within the system for your fair share is – I mean, it's 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 it's, it's more co- corporate and less beatneck and hippie and like revol you know viva revolution. But maybe it's also a path forward for some of this stuff. I, I yeah, it's I a know. slower process, but it might also get you to the same end goal. Because I do think that like you know the the labor unions are just so weak right now, mm-hmm. and you know that's something that probably ebbs and, fo- and flows. You know, the unions got really big and powerful and corrupt and fat and bloated, and then. People no longer supported them, and they've been like, you know, like it's like jackals have just torn away at their flesh until they're just these skeletonized, weak remains. And now maybe they 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 need to be made stronger again. Um, but it's I, like I said, I, I think this movie is worth seeing because I generally found it entertaining. Like I think some of these, um, I thought there's two two segments in particular that were really brilliant. Um, Andre Holland's mango season speech. Uh, uh-huh. In front of the kids, where he kind of explains, I mean, there, and there's this mystery about like what he did with his cousin um, that I think 
maybe we, is worth talking about because I'm not quite sure what I understand that. But I thought that scene was really p- powerful. And then the scene with his uh, where Ray outlines, outlines a strategy to his uh, youth coach uh, played by Bill to- uh, uh, Duke was very kind of like Mark. You know, it reminded me a lot of like like Michael Corleone talking with his dad about strategy and like where mm-hmm. he went in and the coach didn't agree with what Ray was doing. And as he talked they the the coach then kind of came away to his side to see because i think that's the key to understanding this from you and i's perspective is the coach is very much espousing what we're espousing and there's some point where ray and him talk through like essentially historical metaphor to where he wins the coach to his side and i think that's the part if you understand that you understand what ray did at the end and -hmm. why the old man was happy with it yeah so i'll admit to not understanding some of this movie uh yeah simply because a lack of sports knowledge a lack of knowledge of black history that those kinds of things you got, you got to know about eggplant friday though right jim absolutely not <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not or light skin light versus dark skin. i have no idea what they're talking about uh-huh uh-huh um and that's fine that's fine yeah um because i i did a little research and as far as i can tell eggplant friday is when dudes like stuff like show like cheesecake underwear shots of them nude except for their underwear and they got like a bulge in front or maybe it's actually a full-on dick pic. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. So as far as light skin, light, I, I think that's the type of light that flatters your skin complexion if you're a dark skin complexion or light skin complexion. But uh, okay. I mean, that's like I said, like as a white person, there's like whole, whole fashion things that we don't even have to worry about when it comes to hair and makeup and oh, yeah. and color schemes and lighting and the fact that probably most default lighting is, is probably, you know, flattering to our skin tones and not others. We don't even think about that stuff. But yeah. Um, I, I like it when the movie says like, cause yeah, I felt the same way in the movies. Like we're not going to explain this. Uh-huh. If you really want to know, fucking look, ask somebody on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also like it's, it's sort of just fills out the movie. You don't, you don't have to understand it to really get yeah. what the movie is going for. Yeah. Uh, so even though it's like heavily in sports and heavily in African-American culture, I felt like I came away from this movie, basically understanding everything that I needed mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. appreciate the movie. And, at the, and if you don't understand the end and it re- re- causes you to kind of like reflect and think about it for a little bit, which mm-hmm. it did for me because I was like, man, that was uh, – then it's probably also accomplished its goal. But yeah. honestly, I think the target audience of this movie is people like LeBron James and uh, you know Russell Westbrook and other athletes to be like – you know, what, what are you doing now? What could you be doing? What's how are we going to handle the next lockout? Uh, what's that going to look like? And also it's, I guess it's a shot across traditional Hollywood's bow too, because, um, you know, if, if, if you don't treat the respecters and creators, right, they can easily like uh, the, the new guys, the people that are waiting to be discovered still need that pipeline. But the things that actually make Hollywood money right now, like a whole generation of their talent could just walk off and walk off with a bunch of eyeballs and money. And then what the hell would they do? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just as classic, you know, labor versus management. Um, and yeah. we're, we're going to get to live through a generational struggle. It seems like Jim, we're very lucky. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited. It's, um, it's the most exciting time in history. It always any, is. Any, any time, uh, anything else we want to say about this? Yeah, I, I do think that maybe Ray, you know, in Spock's position at the end of this movie, also gives the agency and, and by extension the players a bit of a leg up too because he seemed very fiscally responsible. You know, he's talking about like putting away 15% of his commission or whatever yeah. for these players for a rainy day when yeah. a lockout happens and they need yeah. that money to get them through. And I think him running that division of the agency is going to be much more responsible than the way that Spock was running it with 
you know, apparently not enough funds in reserve to get through a six month. Right. Right. And then see, he's thinking it's like, man, imagine if the talent agencies did that for the players that they were and and the union that uh, they had these systems in place where they could help. Because the thing is, is management, it's literally just a numbers game to them. The second they're they stand to lose more money in operations than they gain over the next five year contract, they fold. Yeah. Yeah, because why the fuck wouldn't they? And it disproportionately you know? hurts them. You know, it's a 50-50 split that they're talking mm-hmm. about for the the money here, right. but right. there are less of them, so the numbers look bigger on their end, oh, right? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing. They, they there's so much shit in professional sports that's horse shit. They kind of they, they there's literally one sense devoted to this, but the fact that these billionaires get hundreds of millions of dollars of of public money to build their stadiums mm-hmm. that they then get to that they so the cost is is socialized amongst us all. But the profit is privatized. Yeah. Like, I don't I'm, – I'm, I'm a big sports fan, but I would never, ever, ever vote to give a dime to these fucking teams to stay. I'd be like, go beat it then. Go to some – go to fucking Oklahoma or go wherever you want because, like, we need to as society to stand up because it's it's just – it's immoral for a company – for a, 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 a sports team to take $600 million out of a, a society and then take that money and – keep every bit of the profit yeah. it's just crazy it's just crazy and sometimes then when they're in the middle of their contract they decide they're not making enough money or they don't have a big enough stadium so they're going to tear the old one up it's just it's it's highway it's fucking highway robbery is what it is at a municipal scale and i don't understand why we tolerate it and why um i mean i, I get it. everyone likes sports i like sports i hate for sports to go away but jesus at what cost yeah um but yeah shot on an iphone i feel what like have we... with, what have you done with your iphone jim uh, I take notes on it for these podcasts. Does that count? I feel like if you're if you're not making a uh, well-regarded Netflix film with your iPhone, you're just you're just wasting that thousand bucks. Hmm. I'll I'll but try it next week. Soderbergh just threw down a gauntlet to all y'all with these things in your pockets <laughs> and says, "Look, look at what you can do, mortals." Yep. I feel all like right, we should have probably explained like some of the plot machinations here. Honestly, well, uh, I mean, this is the spoiler section. You either seen it or you don't. Oh, so do you just actually to tell walk people mechanically? Right, okay. because I was very confused for a long time and I had to go back and watch certain scenes to really understand what the hell Ray was up to. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I was confused by that scene with his mom, uh, with J- Jamero, is that his name? Jamero Umber's mom? Yes, yes. Uh, who he goes to talk to and, and like you, I was a little surprised by how that goes, but more importantly, I was missing the point that he is intentionally starting some beef between these two players, these two hot uh, yeah. draft picks who... Oh. And it's 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 a conspiracy. Yes. Um, like Sam, Sam. Ray mm-hmm. and his mother is in on it. They're the only ones that are, but they're the ones required to make this all work. Right. And then the other thing that they depend on is that these guys will act the way they do when they meet. Yes. Because if, that they'll if they get chesty be, and they'll challenge each other and, and the it'll game all be organic. Yeah. And it's it's all very underground. And there's only like one single tweet video of it. And that's all key because like, you know, at one point, the. The coach says, like, Jesus, if I'd have known you guys were doing this, I could have made four times the money on the ticket. And he's like, well, that's why we couldn't, because right. we have to be able to argue with a straight face that no one set this up because uh, well, until until Ray was ready to let the cat out of the bag, because that, that uh-huh. was the actual that was the actual threat. You know, like we can do this if you don't uh, start playing ball with us. So, yeah, and it's like, that confluence of events that like magic yeah. moment that you have to spark that had me thinking, man, pursue this, pursue this angle, because yeah. this might not happen again. Yeah. You know, no, I, I mean, there is a reason why we have 
there's a lot of reasons why we've grown at the rate we've grown as far as like, you know, it being kind of slow, but, but steady. And a lot of it's because, you know, we, I guess we are trying to do something that's more independent and something that, you know, you don't want to just sign away the rights to something or jump into bed with the wrong person. And I admire like the, that aesthetic, but you know, it's mm-hmm. also remains to be seen whether we don't just get steamrolled by some massive corporate soulless empire that grabs all the ears in the podcast game and, and we're left with our principles and, uh, uh, and our experimental ideas, the podcast economy and, <laughs> and a bunch of dust. So, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, that's an exciting idea, but like I've seen these arena football leagues and the XFL and upstart rest, like they tend to, they tend to get destroyed by the larger established person that has more money that, and they can threaten the contracts and vendors. And, yeah. you know, it's the same. It's because that's, that's the thing. Like if you're not starting a whole other thing, so all the vendors that you're trying to get to advertise on your competing net or your competing deal are by necessity, the other guys vendors too. And guess what? In the beginning, they're all, you're, they're, you're, they're always going to be the underdogs, you know? Mm. So it's like Coke wants that that hot, young, authentic uh, street basketball money. Uh, they want that 150 million because that's the future. But the the but the, you know the NBA's got the billion dollar contract. So if they start squeezing, what's Coke going to do? Yeah, I don't know how. Like it's um, I think I'm, I think this film's hypothesis might be right. The best you can do is. Uh, make labor as strong as you can and negotiate the best deal you can because, you know, going and running your own, it's tough, uh, tough business for sure. I wish there was a, uh, bandersnatch for this where, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But Ray, Ray's at the end and he's pondering whether he's going to take the Netflix, the Netflix, uh, meeting or not. And, and then he jumps off the balcony. Out. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or he makes Eric jump either one. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, Daniel Stern comes out of retirement and throws him off the top of a building. Uh, the old NBA commissioner. Um, I, I, okay, I thought you meant the guy from Home Alone, but yep. I, is it Dan, did, did I say David or Daniel? You said Daniel. Okay, yep, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> the wet bandits are coming back and they're pissed. <laughs> they're pissed that you're got you're trying to take control of the basketball game. Oh man. Uh, oh, one other thing I want to talk about is I really like just the mentor relationship that Ray had with Sam. Yeah, yeah. Like they didn't try to throw any kind of romantic bullshit in there. It was just like I am your assistant, and there has never been anything creepy about this. I'm demanding, and I've I've taught you a, a shit ton that you're going to mercenarily use against me. Uh, but there's <laughs> mutual respect, and that's kind of what I like. I I fucking really liked the 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 way that those two interacted and how that, that came to be. Um, yeah, I mean, he totally plays her right. Like, yeah, well, gets, I think they. Yeah. She thinks she's playing him, but. In fact, he's playing her, and then I think like the most fitting ending at, at the climax of this movie where she reads the book, she's like, oh, shit, yeah. Okay, yeah. now I get it. I guess you're right. It's a little like Horror and Half fan Jon Snow where, you know, like, slay me and, and use that power to, to, get, to infiltrate the next level of the enemy. Yeah. Um, now that you mention it, but um, I thought that that was really well done. I really like seeing uh, Sonya, um, uh, Kima from The Wire, as the mm-hmm. outgoing NBA players union manager. Yeah. Um, I thought she was really good with uh, her. Her I, Actually, I thought um, all the di- all the dialogue with everyone with Andre sparkled. Yeah. Um, it felt very um, like it wouldn't have surprised me if I found out like Aaron Sorkin wrote this script. <laughs> Because there's lots of that kind of Sorkin, like walking, talking, standing, talking, you know, in a car, everybody kind of distractedly looking at the windows talking. Um, 
Yeah, honestly, much... it, that made it more difficult for me to follow what it was putting oh, yeah? down. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more stylistic, I guess. It's less straightforward. And they always did the, the tropey kind of like a very smart person um, explaining something to something that someone is very ignorant. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do that a lot. That's kind of like, I guess, um, a way to communicate something to the the audience. But I I don't know. I I feel like Netflix is um, marketing this movie well, because unlike some of the other stuff that we've been trying to watch these last few weeks, this was like front and center of my interface and on my wife's interface. Yeah, I think I think what they're doing is they're not advertising stuff immediately when it drops because i have since Mm. since uh friday when this came out i've noticed that it's being advertised more and i didn't see any ads for it on friday so Mm, interesting i think it's just smart like you've got a big name like soderbergh uh Mm -hmm. that's directing for you you like want to put that front and front and center yeah uh okay i think that's the the last movie right Mm -hmm. uh we'll be back next week for a first run bald movie uh, uh alita battle angel and uh, stay tuned for that. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. Uh, we didn't mention that Lucas from Stranger Things is in this. Uh, yeah, you're right. Are we stopping recording? I just did, yeah. Okay.